My Mac Podcast 274 Digital Media Frenzy. You're listening to the My Mac Podcast with your hosts, David Cohen and Guy Searle. And welcome everybody to MyMac274. Um, I'm glad to say that I'm broadcasting to you from a different location this week. I'm actually in the United <laughs> States, which is great for me because it means it's not real late at night and I haven't been working, which means I hopefully will sound a bit more alert and with it than, than normal. I'm joined by my uh, compatriot in podcasting, Guy Sill. Hi, Guy. Hello, David. Uh, and I'm also joined by uh, Guy's brother, Larry. Hi, Larry. Hi there. Now, Larry is very generously providing us studio facilities, i.e. his home in Florida today. <laughs> so, um, and he has a nice, strong um, broadband connection for, uh, for us to do this with. And uh, at the moment, technically, everything is going well. But uh, obviously, uh, listeners, I hope you'll appreciate we can't, I've kind of brought everything with me we need in the suitcase. We've already had to do one emergency trip to Radio Shack. So <laughs> please bear with us if we have any further technical difficulties. Well, again, this is the house where tech comes to die. So, yeah, and we're, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about um, some of uh, Larry's adventures in, in media computing later on in the show. Um, but the first thing we wanted to talk about was uh, MacWorld Expo. We have yeah. some some exciting news, guy. Oh, let me hear it. Uh, the exciting news is we are going to be at MacWorld Expo. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're going to be there. Uh, it's what four thirty to five thirty. Four thirty-five on, on the first on the day. main stage on, on no no it's on oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's on the main keep, stage. that's the first day first, the first day of the that's, show. The, that's the first public day of the expo um, we we I actually had um, a few minutes ago had a had a chat with Paul Kent of IDG who's the organizer of Matt World Expo yeah and, I'm looking uh, forward to hearing that I'm going to slot that uh, interview into the podcast in in a moment or two but. Um, but yeah, we're going to be on the main stage. The main stage is in, is in the center of the show floor, and um, yeah, basically where Apple used to be. Absolutely. And what we'll be doing is we'll be recording the MyMac podcast for that week from that from that location. Um, so anybody who listens to the show who can get to San Francisco that day, um, I would very much encourage you to come along and um, get to see us in person. And I apologise for that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we'll be trying to do, be do, doing something a little bit different. We want to I'm, take. I'm the tall one. He's the short one, but we're both bald. Absolutely. Um, and, but what we will, what we'll be trying to do is take advantage of the fact that we'll have um, listeners and uh, and a whole host of Mac geeks right there in front of us. So hopefully we'll tr- try and do something that's a little bit more interactive than our normal show, uh, and uh, it should be quite interesting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, now I, I would mention we'll, you, you'll remember last week we were looking for sponsors. We are still looking for sponsors. We have been able to commit to going to the show and taking advantage of the uh, opportunity IDG have given us to podcast from there. But um, we would like to help um, to, to look for a uh, some sponsorship to help defray some of our travel expenses. Yes. Uh, and and as we said last week, you know, we would we would obviously we would look to, yeah, as we've done with MacWorld in the past, we would look to partner with uh, sponsors and promote them and promote their products and 
talk about their products, do things from their booth, and and obviously incorporate them into our uh, into our podcast schedule um, as as part of that deal. So if there, if there is anybody out there who who knows somebody who would be interested in doing that, is planning to go to the show, then please get in touch with uh, with us. Uh, just send me an email to David Cohen at mymac.com and I can give you more details about what we can do for you and uh, how that might work. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lots of opportunities for companies that are at the expo to get a lot of extra exposure from MyMac.com. We're going to be doing podcasts every day, or you know, at least that's the plan to do one every day. Uh, we're going to have we're going to have video, we're going to have audio, we're going to have all kinds of stuff, and this is this is your chance to really really stand out and reach a very broad audience. Absolutely, and uh, should be really interesting. Looking forward to it, and. Um yeah, it'll be great, and that's uh, by the time I get home from this trip to the states, that's only been a couple of weeks away, so it's going to be pretty exciting. <laughs> so you're basically you're going to have to get used to a time shift, and then another time shift, and then another time shift. Absolutely. And, oh, good. Uh, that's uh, so. I, I will be I will be jet lagged when we do the the podcast, so I'll sound pretty much like I do normally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm going to put in this interview with uh, with Paul Kent, and he'll, he'll give us a bit more details about how the show is going to run this year. And um, so we'll we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, so I'm joined by uh, Paul Kent from from IDG, and uh, Paul is the guy who's the principal organizer and mover and shaker over at MacWorld Expo. Um, how are you tonight, Paul? Very good, David. How are you? Uh, pretty good, thanks. Um, it's uh, it's good to be in the US for a change rather than doing this from the UK, um, which means it's not quite as late an hour. Uh, and I'm really excited to be talking to you about um, about the plans for MacWorld Expo this year. So could you just give us a brief overview about, about kind of the concept behind the show and, and how it's going to be different from previous years for people who've been? Absolutely. So the show is coming up February 9th through 13th at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. The show uh, is a few, there's a few things different about the show. One is certainly the timing. For the last 25 years, Macworld had been the first or second week of January. This year, um, about six months ago, we made the announcement that we were moving the dates, really based upon a lot of, lot of customer feedback, a lot of attendee feedback, uh, that that first week of January, travel rates over the holidays were just so expensive. But it was something that had been for so long and was somewhat ingrained. This was the year we had an opportunity to make the change, and so we moved the show to February. The show is different in a few ways this year. The 9th through 13th, uh, all five days will hold conference sessions, but the expo, the exhibit floor, is open the 11th through 13th, so three days as opposed to four that uh-huh. have been in the past, and also it includes a, a Saturday, yeah. 13th is a Saturday, which is the first time we've been open on a Saturday for many years. So that's some of the structural changes that we have, and then, you know, the show is always... Um, you know, it's an always evolving mirror of the state of things going on in the Apple products marketplace. One new thing we have this year that's a direct reflection of what's going on in the Apple par- in the Apple marketplace is our mobile application showcase. So certainly one thing you can't open a, a newspaper or, or go to a Mac website and not read about these days are the ever-increasing number of apps, mobile apps, iPod Touch and iPhone apps that have been released. We have a section on the show floor specifically dedicated to mobile apps this year, and it's really exciting because especially as the number of apps makes it a little hard to choose between similar apps and, you know, review the review process is not quite as succinct to help you understand what you're buying. This is a nice way for attendees to 
meet the developers who have developed the products and also try the products out firsthand. That's that's certainly going to be interesting. And uh, one of the, one of the things that frustrates me often is trying to pick out the good apps from the uh, from the ones that, that aren't so great in the in the app store. So being able to talk to the developer and and understand you know kind of their approach should be good. Do you do you have any idea at this stage how many developers you we're expecting to see in that area? Well, there'll probably be at the end of the day about a, in between 80 and 100. Right now there's wow. about 60. We have about five weeks to go. So it'll be 80 to 100 apps for you to experiment with. Fantastic. That should, that should be really good. Um, now, obviously, uh, podcasting has always been kind of a, a, a big a big. Uh, a big thing that the media does at the Macworld Expo, um, and we're excited to be on the on the main stage on the first day of the of the Expo part of the show to to be podcasting direct from there. How is that going to actually work in practice? You you've got the main stage concept. Is that going to be in the middle of the show floor or in a separate building, or how, how do you expect that to work? Right. So the main stage is part of the exhibit show floor. So you know, amongst everything else that's going on in the show all of the exhibits, all the conference sessions, right on the, on the show floor, we've built this main stage, and the main stage is somewhat uh, a result of suggestions from our customers. We have so many podcasters who come to the show, who cover the show in different ways. This is kind of an interesting way for their audiences to see them face-to-face. Some people say that their faces are really made for radio, but this is a place <laughs> where um, uh, attendees will actually kind of get to know the personalities behind their favorite podcast. So we have a, a great lineup of podcasts that are, that are um, arranged. Uh, but also on this main stage, there will be a lot of educational content. There will be some, some uh, vendor demonstrations. There will be some training sessions. There will be a lot of things going on on main stage, but certainly several throughout the day of, of uh, February 11th, 12th, and 13th, there will be um, a full complement of podcasting programming. Wow, so that that should be really interesting, and and I I think very much a, a you know a, a move that I support is is moving that to the to the center of the show floor where it kind of can, can become a hub for for all the activity that's going on on the expo days. That should be uh, should be really interesting. So you mentioned and we think it's really add to the overall feel of the show. Fantastic, yeah. You mentioned that um, you know you had the conference track running for five days. So you just want to tell us about if somebody's thinking about. Uh, spending a bit of extra time in San Francisco and, and attending the conference, what they'll what they'll see from that? Well, absolutely. You know, the conferences at Macworld are these vast um, offerings of educational opportunities. So a lot of professional development. Uh, well, actually, to be fair, it's everything from beginner content to advanced content. So whereas on the one hand, we have, um, if you work in a large company in an enterprise organization, we have a whole conference for people who manage Apple technology enterprise organizations. But we also have a track of, of content just just helps people become a better power user, how to get deeper into OS X Snow Leopard, how to troubleshoot your Mac. A lot of things that just can help you really get more enjoyment out of the use of your Mac. We have a track of sessions for people who are small business owners, for people who are graphic artists, for people who are videographers, people who are musicians, and people who are photographers. So there's really just about something for every skill level and every interest level um, regarding using an Apple product at the conferences. Uh, And they happen in different ways. Some of them are two-day classes that you sit in a classroom for two days going in-depth into particular products. Many of the more complex um, but but, uh, trusted tools uh, in the software market, um, things like uh, Photoshop or, or Final Cut. We have two-day classes to really help people dive deep into their, their expertise with those products. And then we have these um, individual 75- to 90-minute conference sessions that kind of break things up into smaller chunks. So I'd recommend people really get familiar with our website, www.macworldexpo.com, and just go through the conference offerings. It's really, we, we could be on the phone for for two days kind of going through all of them. Let, 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 suffice it to say, 
it's really some of the best instructors in the marketplace bringing their expertise and teaching people how to do the things that really get them a lot more enjoyment or productivity out of using Apple products. Fantastic. And, and registration for that is still, is still freely available? Um, yep. We actually had one class sell out today, our, our uh, digital photography um, safari, which is a full-day class where you do a photo shoot around San Francisco. That's sold out today, right. um, but uh, most of the classes are still open, So, and we imagine there'll be availability right through the show. Fantastic. And what about general registration? Is that, that still fully available as well? Absolutely. You know, you can register now. It's, a little, it's slightly more expensive if you walk up the day of the show. So if you're thinking of coming, it'd be great for you to get your pass now. Um, and remember, when you get an expo pass to just come onto the show floor, not only are you able to view the exhibits, but you'll be able to attend all of the things that are going on on our main stage that we discussed, all the podcasting sessions, all of the training, all the product demonstrations. We also have a music studio where um, staff from the Berklee College of Music is coming out and showing people how to use GarageBand and how to make music and enjoy music on their Mac. But we also have this amazing lineup of feature presenters, really some of the the most well-known commentators, uh, presenters in the technology marketplace are going to be speaking at Macworld. And an Expo Pass gets you into all these. So you can actually see David David Pogue give his um, feature presentation, Leo Laporte, filmmaker Kevin Smith, Guy Kawasaki. So it's a really fantastic lineup of well-known people from the tech industry, and that is all part of your Expo Pass. Fantastic. Now, those feature presentations, will those be main stage, or will those be in separate, uh, separate parts so of the show? That's in a separate room. Yeah, that's a large room. holds about 1,200 to 1,500 people. Um, it's, it's just off the main stage area, though. Fantastic. Okay. Well, I, I think that's going to be really great, because one of the uh, frustrating things in the past with Macworld is obviously not everybody could get in to see the, the Apple keynotes. So the opportunity to you know, meet and, and hear speeches from some of the, uh, the, you know, the good and the great in the Mac community, I think, is going to be very exciting. I think people will really like it. Fantastic. Paul, I'm really looking forward to the show. I was already excited, but I'm, I'm, after speaking to you, I'm really jazzed. And um, very much, uh, thank you very much for, for giving my Mac an opportunity to be involved by being on the main stage. Uh, and um, hopefully we'll see you there. Well, we appreciate your support. Thanks for inviting me on the show today. And we look forward to having all of my Mac listeners at the show. Thanks very much, Paul. Good to speak to you. Thanks, David. And we're back. Uh, thanks very much to Paul for uh, giving us some time this evening. And, um, yeah, it should be an exciting show, and we're really looking forward to it. And we're hoping to see many of you listeners there at the show. Look for the guys with the MyMac badges and come up and tell us what you think of us. Yep, bring your shirt, Dave. Sorry I can't be there <laughs> this time. Oh, well, you know, it's a long way, and uh, this will only be my second show. So, um yeah, it's, uh, it should be good. I'm, look- I'm really looking forward to it. So we had some listener feedback, and uh, this was based on the discussion that Guy and I were having, uh, was it last week or was it the week before, Guy, about... Um, yeah, I think it was last week. Yeah, about dropping uh, ma- the possibility of, of Apple dropping optical drives from their computers in future. Um, and obviously we waxed lyrical about how they weren't really used very much anymore, and... Um, there was a, a mass migration towards taking media um, as a as a download rather than right. using optical. Going digital. Going digital, absolutely. Um, and uh, listener Mark Dye sent us an email that um, that basically offered us a different opinion. He said, you know, some of us don't have broadband and need, need their optical drives. He says he lives in upstate New York, um, and basically while he lives fairly close to, you know, within a few miles of locations that have good broadband, he is stuck with three kilobit dial-up. 
Yikes. So he said our, the podcast where we had the discussion, took, uh, which was a 30 megabyte um, download, took three hours for him to download. And it was worth every single moment. Well, I, I hope he felt that after he listened to it, <laughs> particularly when we told him that, that you know he was going to lose, potentially lose his optical drives. He probably got a, did get a bit concerned. So he, he's talking about the. Um, he talks here about um, speaking to Time Warner and, and New York Telephone to try and understand um, how he could get cable service. He says there's a fifteen thousand dollar capital cost involved in getting uh, right, cable extended th- uh, three miles to his house. Uh, and obviously, you know, he and apparently that he was told that 30 years ago. And that is the consistent line from the cable company. They're not prepared to give him service because that would mean laying a physical cable just to his house. Right. Um, and um, he also says as well that he's on a four party line um, and uh, the uh, DSL consequently is he's too far away from DSL. Um, yeah, I think you have to be within a mile. Uh, well, it, the, the, it depends on the type of DSL and the... Four or five miles, I think. Yeah, it, it depends on exactly what technology they're using in the exchange. But also, as Larry and I were discussing before we started recording this evening, um, it also depends on the quality of the wiring between you and the telephone exchange. And Well, very true. And if he was on, if he was on a, a four-person party line, you know, going all the way back, chances are those, those wires aren't exactly... Uh, you know, they're, they're probably not fiber ready. No, they get spliced and they get spliced, and sometimes you know somebody and they get spliced. Yeah, some sometimes they get somebody cheaps out on the on the cable and, and puts an aluminium cable instead of copper cabling, which doesn't work with DSL. Um, so basically, says so DSL is not really an option for him either, and satellite internet. Um, is expensive and it's capped at 17 gigabytes a month, which isn't very helpful for digital downloads. And no, you know, uh, oh, satellite is also very latent, which doesn't really help for um, for media streaming at all. So uh, he, he his concern really is that according to the FCC, all of New York State has broadband, and yet he lives in somewhere <laughs> where um, where the, where he can't get it. So well, cost- all of all of New York State is a, is a relative term. I, I, he's, he suspects. <laughs> uh, he says here that he suspects that um, if if one if one town or principality has a a broadband customer, then that they colour in the whole town, even when um, not everybody can receive Great. the service. I mean, this is something we've dealt with, and and has caused a lot of problems in the UK. Um, and and the UK is kind of a microcosm of the sort of problems you have here in the US. Obviously, we're a lot smaller and it's much more densely populated. But that population density is all is you know as here is centered around the towns and cities. Um, and you don't have to go too far outside of the cities to fa- start finding these sorts of problems. I've been doing some some work in a in a, a location in in northern England um, in um, a, a council called Kirklees Council, uh, and they have this, this pro- exactly this this problem. They have uh, two big towns where lots of people have very good broadband service, but you can go two three miles outside of that, and you are literally out in the country, and they have nothing, um, and they can't you know they can't. If they get service, it's very patchy. It doesn't work very fast, and it it drops out a lot. And they, you know, a lot of them are on dial-up, and that just uh, if, if you're trying to go back to dial-up in today's uh, with today's internet is exactly painful. The hotel I'm staying at here in the US um, has a very slow wireless service that's shared among a lot of people, um, and I found it very frustrating. And in fact, I, there was certainly no prospect of doing this podcast there. The Skype quality just wasn't good enough. Um, so I, I, I do sympathise with him. Um, I, what what I worry about is is uh, on his behalf is whether the sort of the general purview that broadband is everywhere and most people who need it can get to it will mean that 
kind of what we predicted about optical drives will happen and, and they will disappear and, and people who are on the end of poor connections will just kind of become the digitally deprived. I mean, what do you think, Guy? Well, I, I think that a couple a couple things. Uh, number one, even if Apple does take out um, optical drives from their laptops and desktop computers, that it won't be as big of a deal because there's certainly you could go to other world computing, for example, and and pick up a USB or a FireWire optical drive that just plugs right in. Now it's yeah. not nearly as convenient. Um, if it if you get the one that's that's FireWire, then you don't have to worry about a uh, uh, external you know power supply. But you know it's. Is is it really that big big of a deal? You know how often you know even even when you're getting most of your your media and you're getting most of your software and and so forth through an optical drive. How often do you actually use it? Yeah, yeah. Well, now, uh, he the pro- other thing he, other- he, he probably uses it a fair bit more than we do. Oh, because, I'm sure he does because he has no alternative. But as you say, I, I mean, I would imagine that that much as they did with the MacBook Air, that if uh, Apple actually discontinued optical drives and all their computers, they would have an add-on unit you could buy. So yes. you are paying. A, you would end up paying a premium for the right to have that optical drive, which is however natural. There, yeah, there, there's there's one other problem though, is that a, a lot of developers are no longer off, offering CDs or DVDs with their software on it. They're going all digital as well. Mm. They're going all online. So even even in that case, you know what what can he do? Yeah, well, I I have a couple of suggestions for um, to address the broadband problem, and this follows the kind of the thinking we've been using uh, in this work problem with we're trying to deal with some of these digitally deprived people. First of all, um, Mark talks about fifteen thousand dollars for a capital cost to lay a cable out to his house. That's a lot of money for an individual to pay, but it is not a lot of money for a community to pay. Um, and the advantage that uh, people have nowadays that they didn't have in the past was if you can get a cable close to where people are then you can use some of the new technologies like wireless to then break out that cable to a larger group of people than actually digging up everyone's gardens and running it up into their house so the first thing I would always recommend to anybody in this situation is get organised find out who in your area feels the same way about it you do and then start lobbying your telecoms providers as a group rather than as an individual because a group of customers saying they want to pay 60 70 80 dollars a month for service it's gonna be a lot more attractive to them than one guy saying or or two guys saying saying to them and and if you then can pull your resources and come up with a way either through community funding or um, maybe government grants or that sort of thing as a group you can often get access to that sort of funding to help some of the costs, then potentially you can get service to a community where, um, on the ordinary standard, you know, customer service business model that a telecoms provider can can offer you, they would say, "Well, it's not economic for us to do so." So right. that, that's one thing. The other thing I would say is, and, and kind of the elephant in the room that, that Mark doesn't really talk about in his email, um, is wireless broadband. Yes, and certainly. And, and this has in the UK, this has absolutely exploded in the last eighteen months. All of a sudden, people are having uh, 3G wireless dongles. Um, you can get... Yeah, MiFi. Yeah, you can get MiFi. You can get a USB device that plugs into your computer and gives you access to wireless broadband service at speeds that are not anything like DSL or cable, but no. they're certainly a lot better than broadband. Um, and and, and, and miles better than dial-up. Absolutely. Um, they're a lot better than the broadband of just a few years ago. I mean, the first DSL service I ever had was 512 kilobits, which would be horribly painful to use nowadays. 
um, and most wireless broadband services can achieve that. Now he's in a he's in a rural community, so yet again he may not have the kind of coverage that you get in the city. Right. But the advantage of being in a rural community is if you do have coverage, there are likely to be much less people using it than say in the <laughs> centre of San Francisco or New York, where yes. these these things are saturated. So that is potentially another option. And obviously in the US, you have a little bit more competition because you have two types of service you have a gsm service a 3g service and um uh the sprint e you know um uh, what's it called evdo service which in the uk we just have gsm um and um well, that's most of europe too isn't yeah, it? yeah absolutely and and but with four or five different providers so there is competition in terms of pricing those services do come with with data caps and so they're not necessarily the sort of thing you're going to be downloading an awful lot of video with but um, data caps can be manageable if you ha- if you if you do streaming and you do streaming intelligently. Yeah, uh, I think AT and T has a, a twenty five gigabyte cap. Yeah, for, for their so called unlimited service. Well, yeah, that that's the cell phone industry. I mean, you get well, that everywhere. Uh, the the my fi services. Uh, I think that's that's a. Five gig, gigabyte five, a month. Five yeah. gigabyte is pretty much an average cap in the UK for those sort of services. Sixty bucks a month. Absolutely. So that's not, you know, it's not brilliant. But having said that, it's better than a dial-up. So um, those are things that that you know, if you're in this situation, you, you might want to look into and consider. Uh, you know, I don't think obviously they're not perfect solutions, and um, ultimately, in the long term. You know, you have to hope that either government or or businesses will get together and actually start trying to solve these problems, so that everybody has a, a better level of basic service than um, than um, than dial up, no matter where you live. Well, you know, too, uh, uh, if you're talking about your cable pr- provider, and, and uh, in this case, he's in New York. This is Verizon. Uh, cable is usually regulated as a franchise. But at the county and even in some cases city level. So, uh, if maybe he 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 could pressure his his local franchising authority in some way. Yeah. And again, if you can do that as a group rather than as an individual, even better, even right. better, then that's going to be better. So you know, kind of get the community behind you and 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 see see what you may happen. I think the important thing is to remember that. The, more, the bigger a voice you have and the more noise you can make, the more you can get um, businesses to be interested in delivering yeah. service to you. And, but as far as optical drives go, I mean, the writing's on the wall, Mark, and, and you know, we're, we're, we're sorry that you're having such a, such a terrible time uh, with your, with your, with your uh, internet, with your, you know, <laughs> I can't talk tonight, with your internet speed. Um, but Apple, Apple is a company, as a matter of fact, almost any computer company, you know they're not going to hold back technology for, and you know it's unfortunate to say this. They're not going to hold back their technology for the few that that still want to take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's always it's always unfortunate if you kind of you're on the edges of the uh, uh, of of the computing right. envelope when somebody else is is kind of running away with it. But um, well, you know, a, we've, a good we've been... example as far as Apple goes is is when they went from OS nine to OS X, or yeah. sorry, OS ten. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, when they dropped the floppy in the iMac, um, you know, a lot of people were pretty upset at the time. But uh, people adapt and technology adapts and services adapt. And there are always the fallback mechanisms if you if you if you need to get access. to Right. Those. You absolutely yeah. still need it. So um, we're going to take a very quick break now and just hear a word from our uh, our uh, illustrious sponsor, Otherworld Computing, via way of Tim Robertson. And um, let's hear what he has to say. 
Hey, 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 Mac users, Tim Robertson for OWC Radio and Otherworld Computing. That's at MacSales.com. Have you checked out OWC Radio on iTunes yet? I've been posting uh, episodes for the last two weeks, and I've also been posting them up, at least links, up at MyMac.com so you guys can find them. The last show I did had an interview with Adam Angst. He's the co-founder with his wife of Tidbits, one of the all-time great Mac publications out there. And the show right before that, episode number three of OWC Radio, I did an interview with MyMac.com's own Owen Rubin. Owen worked for Apple, Atari, one of the Microsoft co-founders. He's doing great, interesting stuff now. Really, really fun interview, and I hope you give it a try. Do a search for OWC in iTunes, and I'm sure you'll find it. And I hope you'll give it a try, give it a download, and uh, let me know what you think. In the meantime, please check out Otherworld Computing's website at MacSales.com. Great items that, honestly, you guys need if you're going to be backing up your data. What? You're not backing up already? Man, you got to be doing that. You lose that data, it's gone forever. Now, a time machine with a time capsule, that's a good start. It's definitely a good start. I do that myself. But you got to have some kind of an off-site solution set up so that, heaven forbid, your house catches on fire, there's a flood, a tornado swipes your house right off its foundations and takes it to Kansas. You have to have your data protected. And you can't have just a backup at the same place the computer is located. MacSales.com will have you covered as far as the hardware you need to set up an efficient off-site backup plan. Personally, I use the Voyager and bare hard drives, and I keep them in rotation. I have three bare hard drives, and I always have two of them off-site at any one time. So with that, I'm going to let you guys get back to the MyMac.com podcast. Can't wait to hear what Larry's doing in home entertainment with his Mac. Very interesting. Take care, everybody. And we're back. Thank you very much for that, Tim. And uh, always good to hear from you. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have been checking uh, out Tim's new show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really good stuff. Very interesting content. And he really gets in, a chance to do an, a single topic in detail. And uh, some of the interviews he's been doing um, are absolutely fantastic. Okay. So, uh, Larry. Yes. <laughs> you, uh, you were, when we were talking about setting this up uh, before I came out to the states, you were talking about your new media computing setup, and I was quite intrigued by that because um, you you're using a Mac Mini as a media server instead of going with an Apple TV. And I'm a big Apple TV fan. Um, I've just bought my second Apple TV actually to go upstairs in the bedroom at home, and um, I really like it because it is kind of it's simple. It's easy. I know kind of know how it works. And I know I've got another Mac in the house to stream to it or synchronize content to it. Then it, it kind of does the job for me. But rather than go with the Apple TV, you're looking to do a Mac Mini. So, what 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 is the advantage in your mind over um, over over going that route and, and going the full Mac Mini rather than the uh, uh, Apple TV? Well, there were a couple things. Uh, one was uh, I, I wanted to back up 
my uh, DVD collection. I, I hesitate right. to use the term "rip." Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think I think we we're all grown up. We're all grown ups here. We can all but, accept but, but, that, but yes, I, I, that I, I ripping may up, be involved, but I, you I, have I, a right to do that. Yes, I backed up my uh, DVDs that I yeah, own that absolutely. I purchased legally. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm making that that distinction. Uh, and I have a very large collection, uh, right. as, as David yeah. can see. Yes, uh, I can uh, see uh, them yeah. on the shelves. Yeah. Uh, the shelves are sagging under the weight, and they aren't very heavy. So uh, I, I, I wanted to have have them a little more easily grabbable, more accessible. Accessible, not only in the living room, but, but maybe in my other TV up, upstairs. Yeah. So uh, uh, my my new job. Uh, has uh, a lot of advantages, uh, one of which is they, they pay very nice bonuses <laughs> because business has been very good in, okay. in, in, in the defense and uh, public safety uh, uh, technology support area. And uh, with, with that, I uh, one, I, I replaced the uh, HGTV that was stolen when my house was broken into two weeks after I was laid off. Uh, yeah. Oh, yay. <laughs> oh, yay. Uh, so... Uh, uh, Got that in there, and and I and I, I I tried various things with 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 like USB hard drives, and I've got a five hundred yeah. and a seven fifty, and it, it's hard to get them all recognizable at one time. Right. So uh, you're looking to aggregate all that data into one place. So so what I did uh, with this last bonus, I, I bought a, a Synology DS five hundred nine plus network attached storage device and right. put five 1.5 terabyte drives into it set up in RAID 5. So, so I've, okay. I've really got about five and a half terabytes of, of usable storage on there. That's uh, quite a lot of DVDs. That's, that's quite a lot of DVDs as, as well as my, my iTunes library, right. uh, which I'm still trying to get synchronized right now. That didn't go well. Uh, it okay. is, it's, it's about 130 gigabytes of uh, music uh, uh now, is this stuff that you got off of uh, iTunes, or is it mostly from your own collection? Most, most of my own collection. I, I've got 1,300 CDs. I've, I've got four or 500 LPs. I also subscribe to eMusic. Right. That, that carries a lot of obs- obscure jazz that, that I love and no one else does. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> so I, I wanted to aggregate all of these various things. And, and, and the Apple TV doesn't play to straight ripped DVDs. The, the, right. the, the, the Video TS folders. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah, not without... You'd have to use uh, kind of a hack like Boxy or something like that on it to try... Yeah, yeah. Get it and, and, and I like the idea of also... of, of uh, I've been playing with Boxy. I've been playing with Plex, uh, mm-hmm. bo- both very, very good a- aggregators. Uh, I've, I've been fighting the uh, Boxy versus Hulu wars because uh, right. uh, Hulu doesn't like Boxy rebroadcasting their content. Okay. But but having said that, an Apple TV could not you know, can't play Hulu at all. So you can well, only, not natively. No, you can again. You can if you want Hulu, you have to kind of hack it, and yeah. and as you say, they keep on blocking access via Boxy. To that. But but Hulu now has their own uh, desktop application, right? That, that works quite well. Uh, That's a, a Mac application. Yes, yeah, a Mac application. I, I'm I'm quite pleased with it. Uh, then there's the issue of how do you control all of this? And, mm-hmm. and, and at, at my nearby CompUSA, I, I found a, a, a small wireless keyboard with a trackpad. Right. And, and it, it, it synced up to my Mac. Uh, uh, it, it, it joined no problem. It's Bluetooth. Yeah, it's, it's Bluetooth. And, and, and I didn't need any fancy drivers or anything. It, it, okay. it just worked. So, so I, I, I can control it all 
with that. And, yeah, and that so, should be a marketing slogan for Apple. Yeah, and, and so I, I bought another Mac Mini last week and, and, and moved that into the living room because I also had this issue where Mac Minis have, have DVI output, uh, but that doesn't put audio down the same line. No, and, and, I, and I would like to be able to switch all of my HDMI sources from one place right. uh, to, to, to reduce the complexity. So uh, I bought one of the new Mac Minis, the 2.53 gigahertz uh, uh, model uh, that has the, the mini display port mm-hmm. and bought the, uh, oh, I can't think of the name of the company now. But, but doesn't, doesn't that also have an HDMI output or is it no. just display? No. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking of the new IMAX. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it ha- has the display port, but there, there's a small company that has a little device that, that mixes the optical output with your uh, uh, DVI and powers it via a USB connector. It's all, the, all, all of this one little box, and you plug an HDMI cable into it, into, into your TV. And, right. and, and So that, that's a simple way to get... Because I must admit, I, I, at one time I did have a Mac Mini behind my own TV uh, before I had the Apple TV. And I... Uh, I, it, it was a G4, wasn't it? It was a G4 one, and basically I was using it for you know running downloads and stuff mm-hmm. that, I was, that was happening overnight, so I didn't have to fire up you know the, the main iMac to do that sort of stuff. And um, I, I did try and interface it to my um, to my HD TV via HDMI, and also I also tried using the VGA port, and I'm, I didn't really have much success and I never solved the audio problem mm-hmm. so um, that sounds like quite a neat solution so well, that- uh, wait can we go back for just a second yeah. when you're talking about the audio problem is, is it a question of syncing your, your so video and audio you just, source? Need, you just need to find a way to get the audio at the Mac mini uh, to be delivered to the TV and get the TV to present the picture and the vid and with the audio digital audio with di- preferably with digital preferably, audio, yeah yeah but present <laughs> the picture with the audio at the same time the right. problem is is if you if you if you, uh, as I found to my cost, if you just kind of just get a, 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 a audio cable, three and a half mil audio cable, connect the headphone jack of the Mac Mini to the TV, then all of a sudden the TV doesn't make any noise anymore unless it comes out of the Mac Mini. And so I was plugging and unplugging things, and and it all became I, 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 it was really the reason I went to the Apple TV. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I can't be bothered to try and figure all this stuff out. Sounds to me like Mini DisplayPort has made that an awful lot easier. Well, uh, but actually, even the old way, yeah. uh, what what I, I guess a lot of folks don't know is uh, your, your 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 audio output jack is is, is uh, du- dual mode. Yeah, uh, it not only has analog, but if you use a, a Mini Toss uh, optical cable. Uh, you, you you can get digital audio out yeah. of it, uh, and my my stereo receiver has several digital uh, optical audio inputs. Right. So uh, what it means is I, I have to have uh, additional switching. Uh, when I watch things off off before when I was watching things out of the Mac Mini, I had to make sure the 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 audio receiver was switched to to, to a se- separate input. Right. For the audio coming out of the Mac Mini, but mm-hmm. but uh, the video. Did go in into an, an, an HDMI input on the TV, so, so uh, it, it was just a switching yeah. problem. And, and so I've, I've got that one upstairs now in a simpler system with just the Mac Mini, the cable box, and, and the TV. Downstairs, we have all, all the other fun things: uh, mm-hmm. get, getting content off off the network attached storage device and uh, all the other fun things. Right. So, well, so, will your will your Mac Mini upstairs also come off your NAS? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it can access that along with all the con- uh, uh, content off the internet, uh, 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 Boxy, Hulu, uh, uh, and, and actually another thing, my, my Sony HD TV uh, has has a feature called DLNA, uh, which is a, a, a new standard in uh, uh, home video where uh, it goes out. And, and, and sniffs your home network for for devices that are also DLNA compatible, and my my NAS is right. So so it, it can actually grab movie content okay. directly. So it's a bit like Bonjour for yeah, uh, for yeah. media devices. Yeah, now, so is that, it only for Sony? No, uh, uh, there are a number of companies that that, that are beginning to, to support this new standard. So uh, uh, it, it it found my audio. It, it found a lot of things. Found your neighbors. The, the, the switching and, and control is not quite as sophisticated as 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 it is via the Mac Mini. It's just it's interesting that that that's in there too. Plus, the TV can go directly to to Netflix. Uh, yeah. I, I can subscribe to Netflix and and get content like directly into the TV, which has yeah and an Ethernet port on it. So so, so so a lot a lot of neat neat ways to play with it. Very, I, very geeky. I can't help feeling from this discussion. I don't know what you guys think. That really, that um, you know, much as I love my Apple TV, it's really in need of a serious hardware update to try and bring some of these new things on board. Well, one of the things that I've always wanted to see out of the Apple TV was uh, multiple HDMI inputs into it with a single HDMI output so yeah. that the Apple TV actually becomes, becomes a the center. Yeah. It becomes the center of, of your digital experience. Like a lot of audio receivers have, 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 yeah. have that feature. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, I used to be all worried and, and upset that it didn't have an optical drive, but, you know, I've, I've kind of come to the realiza- re- realization, you know, as, as we discussed last week and this week, that optical's on its way out, that yeah. digital is, is digital content is, is the wave of the future. So I, I'm really not that concerned that the Apple TV does not have an audio drive. I'm sorry, a um, optical drive. Yeah, but yeah, if it had the HDMI input, then you could easily interface it with a DVR, sure. which would solve one of the biggest questions that people often talk about Apple TV is, is you know, how can I watch my DVR content through it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it, it would uh, it would provide a route to solving that problem. Um, exactly. Without- and when you when you figure that most of the less expensive uh, high-definition TV sets only have maybe two HDMI inputs. Well, actually, my uh, four. Yeah, my my the new uh, ones. Well, three or four. My HDTV only has one uh, uh, HDMI input. I actually have to use a switching box to to exactly plug so things on. Yeah, and, so and people that, have game systems. They have yeah. you know they have v- not so much VCRs. They have you know DVD players, Blu-ray, Blu-ray players, yeah. you know, and, and all these things that have HDMI outputs that they need to hook up. And and this is where. Apple could take the Apple TV and really, really make a significant difference in, in the way that people connect up their their audio and uh, video systems. Yeah. Well, we can we can only sit and wait and see whether they uh, <laughs> whether they do sort of think about that. But um, very interesting to to hear about your experiences with that, Larry. And um, well, I think we'll have to we'll have to get you on. Uh, in a few months' time, and see how things are All going, right. and see see how the the system has developed. And it's and a work in progress. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. sounds like a blog, Larry, uh, or a feature article. Yeah, indeed, yeah, indeed. So um, that's going to my copious free time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think that's going to do it for this week. Um, obviously, what I'd like to do is is 
exhort all our listeners if you um, if you want to do what just like what Mark did and you want to uh, interact with us or you don't agree with anything we said or you you want to add something extra to the conversation then please by all means feel free to give us a t- uh, give us a, uh, uh, an email. Um, God, do you remember what the phone number is? Uh, actually, Tim is using that phone number now. Tim is using that phone number. Yeah, we're, so we're, we, well, we can't we can't use that phone well, number. Well, I think I think we will. Um, I will I will promise for the next couple of weeks, certainly before Matt will, we will get our own phone uh, number and get that set up so we can start right. uh, start and using that as well. Um, before before we go, before we go, um, wanted to say real real quick that there's a couple of other podcasts that are available through the mymac.com network. You have my Phototech podcast. And uh, Sandro's got out episodes number four and five. That's a great, great podcast. Tim is up to episode four or five of OWC Radio. And he he just did an interview with Owen Rubin that was just fantastic. Absolutely. And a brand new one, Your Own Victory Garden, which I have not yet had a chance to listen to. As well as... as, uh, as uh, Sam's cool picks. Sam's cool picks. So, um, yeah, we're, we're developing quite a little network here. Um, and uh, it's I've, interesting that we, you know, we're getting different topics on. I, I think it's always good to hear about something new. And um, certainly I, I've been very much enjoying Sandra's stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty good. Okay, well, if you want to get in touch with us, um, you can reach us uh, at uh, the MyMac.com website, obviously. Um, I'm David Cohen at MyMac.com. I'm Guy at MyMac.com. I'm Larry Grinnell in Green Acres. Yes. Had to go there. Okay, you, Had to go there. If you want to come to Green Acres, then uh, <laughs> there's that here. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, well um, now I understand what that means, but all, most of our uh, international listeners are going, what the hell are these guys talking about? <laughs> Green Acres was a, was a, a was it 50s, 60s, 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 and Green Acres is, is where Larry's house is located. So. It's the place to be. Okay. And also you can reach us on Twitter. I'm uh, David B. Cohen on Twitter. And I'm uh, Mac Parrot. And Larry, and I'm, uh, Larry's not on Twitter. So, uh, <laughs> I, I'm anti-social. <laughs> anti- right. So uh, thanks very much, everybody, for listening this week. And we'll uh, catch you next week. And thank you for listening to the MyMac.com podcast. Please send off feedback to podcast at MyMac.com. Be sure to check out our other shows, including Geekiest Show Ever, My Photo Tech Podcast, Your Own Victory Garden, and Sam's Cool Picks. All available in iTunes. 